Well, good morning. It is great to be back here, and, and I feel a little bit like family now. I think this is my third time uh, being with you, and so I see faces I know and people I remember, and man, it's just great to, to be back with you. I bring you greetings from Life Action. I want to thank you for uh, being a church that loves and supports our ministry. Man, I, I am uh, kind of, my head is spinning these days with all that the Lord is doing in this ministry. And I'm not here to give you a life action report, but since you, you uh, have supported and helped us, let me, just, let me just ask you to continue to pray for us. This is the greatest time of expansion in, in uh, decades of this ministry at least. And uh, God is bringing us uh, new staff from every direction. And you know, it's really hard to uh, hire staff when you tell them, listen, we're looking for the very best people in their field of ministry or whatever they do, and our salary is nothing. It's a hard sell, you know, <laughs> to find staff. Uh, but uh, it's amazing uh, how God is raising up the people that we need and the, and the, uh, the opportunities that he's given us. Uh, of course, we continue to serve churches all across the country, but he's opened up doors now to universities in fresh ways so we can reach the, the next generation with a message of the absolute necessity of revival. Uh, and our international ministry is absolutely e- exploding. Some of you from this church were with me at what we call a partner appreciation weekend in, uh, at our lodge in Michigan just before we uh, took, took a life action group um, overseas in, in Easter. I, I, I hope I never spend another Easter in America again. Um, that may sound strange to you, but um, in places like Berlin, Germany, Easter weekend is a place where all the, the immigrant communities come together in these open squares. There's hundreds of thousands of people. Literally the whole world comes out into one place and they expect to meet other people, see other cultures, eat different food, hear different messages. And so we, we brought two hundred young believers from all over the world to train them morning and night, but then to go out as groups. Can you imagine what it was like to have an American with a European, with an African, with an Asian, with an, with an, with an Arab, a former Muslim, some of the Iranians that have been believers a year, Syrians, Iraqis, all these folks. And people are looking, who's this group that all look different, but they're, they're all together. And we'd go out and we would share in these communities with the peoples of the earth. And we, we intend to do that until the Lord returns. In fact, we hope we hasten the return by seeing the Great Commission fulfilled. Amen? And, and so that's, that's some of the new things that God is doing. He's taking the message that we've been teaching for 51 years in this country now to the mission field. And also, pray for us, we have a brand new partnerships where we are doing the soul care for missionaries, family care for missionaries, helping them to be healthy because many of them go for one term and by the end of it, they're done. They're, they're lonely, they're hurting, they're wounded and tired and they come home and we lose them. We're trying to turn that around. Uh, one of the greatest ways we could have revival is to see revival in the hearts of our missionaries. So we're helping them and their families. So all of these things really are new since the last time that I was with you. And, and it's, it's astonishing all that the Lord is doing. We've got three new revivalists. Remember, these are folks that go out and live on the road with our teams. We furnish them a trailer and they literally live as missionaries on the road. One of those was a pastor and a church we served in Louisiana and God broke loose in his church. They wouldn't let us leave for 17 days and God brought revival to the city. And then he said, 
this is what I meant to do the rest of my life. And the church sent him out, and now he's in Michigan training right now for his first year on the road with us. How cool is that? These are the kind of things God is doing right now. And I want to I tell you, COVID has changed the church in America. It's pretty much done away with cultural Christianity. Um, very, very few, if any of you are here today because you're supposed to, because it's kind of what you're supposed to do, that's gone in this nation now. And that is a great thing for our faith. Because it allows us to be truly the people of God coming together to experience the move of His Spirit and then take His message to the world. And that's what we're about at Life Action, and that's why we love partnering with you guys. And man, I can't, I can't believe how exciting it is to be here today, one week before you have the opportunity to, to meet the man who may be your next pastor. You guys excited about, about next Sunday? How cool is that? And, and I, I prayed, Lord, what do you want me to say today? I've got, I've got one message, one opportunity to um, help these precious people that we love at Life Action to be ready for next week. And, and uh, I, I said, I, that, that, this, this message God gave me a year ago, this is perfect. Nope, I, I, that wasn't it. I, I, I sat for literally an hour looking at this and thought, no, that's not what I'm supposed to do. And then I, I said, nope, that's it. And I went on my way. And um, I don't know, maybe about a week ago, I just sensed, no, I'm... I'm missing something. I said, Lord, what am I missing? And I sensed him saying, I've put something fresh on your heart. That's what I want you to preach. And I said, but Lord, that didn't have anything to do with helping a church get ready for a new pastor to come. And I just kind of felt like I needed to be quiet before the Lord because I felt like he was saying, yes, it does, dummy. Just listen to me a minute. You know? And I stopped and I just listened to the Lord. And, and I think I sensed his voice. I want to talk to you today about... How to find meaning even when you're a mess. How to find meaning even when you're a mess. And here's, here's why living with meaning when you're a mess matters so much to you and to your church right now. Listen, if we're honest, all of us are a mess. All of us. And the world we are living in now is unrecognizable to where it was just maybe 10 years ago. Literally unrecognizable. The, the, the things that a pastor will have to deal with now are like nothing that we've ever had to deal with before. The cultural challenges, the questions, the animosity from, from the world and our, our own inability to reach the world in our churches. We, we are in an absolute crisis time. And when you leave these doors today, when you go out, you're going to have to live in a messy world. And you will know, whether anybody else does or not, deep in your heart, that you're kind of a mess yourself. You're kind of a mess yourself. The Lord tells us he will oppose us when we're arrogant. Remember, remember the, the, the parable of, of that, that poor man who's crying out to, to, to God, help me, I'm a sinner, I'm a wreck. And the righteous Pharisee is, I, I'm glad I'm not like him. I have it all together. The Lord is looking for humility in his people. He's waiting for us to say, Lord, I am a mess. And sometimes our church will be a mess. And we're about to consider having a man come and shepherd us. We want to know, how do we live with meaning when we're a mess? And how do we do it together? And we'll get to that in a few moments. I, I want to I tell you... A, a, a little story here. This is uh, amazing. I just I just found this out a few months ago um, that in Honduras, 
there is a bridge that will withstand any hurricane ever known to man. And, and in fact, uh, when it was built, they said there's a category six hurricane, if there was one, could not take this bridge out. And they built it that way because in, on the coast of Honduras, there are terrible hurricanes with some regularity. Well, in 1998, the bridge was completed and they got to test it because Hurricane Mitch came through and leveled the region. And just like they thought, the bridge stood strong, completely undamaged. There was, however, one little problem. I'll show you a picture, and I think you'll notice the problem. See if you can figure out what the problem is. The bridge did fine, but the hurricane moved the river. (laughs) The entire course of the river was changed. And now, if you want to go see the Choluteca Bridge, it's a nice tourist attraction. There it is. It's a bridge that starts nowhere and ends nowhere. (laughs) A perfectly good bridge that is perfectly good for nothing. And many times in our life, if we're honest, we feel like we're wandering around on that bridge. You know, I, Lord, I don't know if anybody else knows, but I just, I just feel like I, I, I'm coming from there. I look back there. I don't even know what, what that even means. And over there is a drop off. Lord, if I keep going that way, I'm just going to fall. So I'm just going to kind of wander back and forth up here. And, and I don't really know what my meaning is. And so often my life just feels like a mess. And I want you to know today that God will build you a new bridge. He will build you a bridge to meaning. He will bring your hearts together as a church family and bring you the man and his family who will shepherd you, who will walk with you, who will laugh with you and cry with you, who will hurt with you, who will disagree with you and you will disagree with him. And if you will walk on that bridge together that Jesus is building, he will take you to beautiful places. And you won't have to walk around on a bridge without meaning. Open your Bible to Psalm 42. Psalm 42 One of the great words from God in the scripture. But I want us to see this from the perspective of who wrote it. And I think it changes everything. Let's let's hear the word of God. As a deer pants for flowing streams. So pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night. While they say to me all the day long, where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul. How I would go with a throng and lead them in procession to the house of God. You see, the authors of this, we'll get there in a moment, but I'll tell you now, they're worship leaders. And now they're exiled, they're fleeing, they're far away. They can't be with the people of God. They can't be with their, with their church. I used to lead them in procession. With glad shouts and songs of praise. A multitude keeping festival. Why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God. For I shall again praise him. My salvation and my God. My soul is cast down within me. Therefore I remember you. From the land of Jordan and of Hermon. From Mount Mizar. Deep calls To deep at the roar of your waterfalls, all your breakers and your waves have gone over me. By day, the Lord commands his steadfast love. And at night, his song is with me. A prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? 
Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? As with a deadly wound in my bones, my adversaries taunt me while they say to me all day long, where's your God? Why are you cast down on my soul? Then why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him. My salvation and my God. Man, it's back and forth, back and forth, isn't it? What is this, a schizophrenic author of the psalm? He can't decide whether, whether he's excited and loves God and God's going to take care of him or whether the whole world's against him and everything's miserable and it's just a roller coaster ride of life. Sound familiar to any of you? Sure does to me. I mean, I don't know how my wife lives with me sometimes. I mean, I, I, there are days when I just, I can't believe what I get to do in ministry. And there are other days I just, I just said, does it matter at all? Does it, does it matter at all? And, and the roller coaster ride of life with Jesus, it, it's pretty clear all over Scripture that this is not abnormal. It's not even to be run from or, or fled from. If, if so, then, then God made a mistake when he inspired the last chapter of Paul's life. Do you ever really, really read 2 Timothy 4? I encourage you to do it. Those are the last words he wrote. And we love to think about, I've fought the good fight. I've finished the I've run the course. I'm going to get my crown. Well, yeah, that, that's in there. But the rest of it is, man, I am stinking alone. I don't even have paper and pen to write with. Can you bring me something to wear? I'm so cold I can hardly stand it. And when I go to court, nobody even shows up. All those people that I used to shepherd and help, they've all abandoned me now. Alexander the coppersmith, watch out for him because he'll ruin your church. That's what Paul says all through that chapter. (laughs) Up, down, up, down, up, and down. And so if you feel that way today, if you're going, man, I just don't know. I do. I feel like such a a mess. You, You are right in line with many of the people in Scripture that God used the most. It's okay to be a mess. It's even okay to be a mess together called a church. (laughs) But it's not okay not to know what to do when you're a mess so that you live in meaning. So let's talk about the people that wrote this psalm. It wasn't David. David wrote many of them. But this psalm was written by a band, really. We would say a worship team, a worship band. And their names were the Sons of Korah. The Sons of Korah. Now, let me ask you a question. This is going to really sound strange, but you'll understand the reason in a minute. How would life be for you if your last name was Hitler? Just think about that a moment. Let's say your last name was Hitler. Let's say my name was John Hitler. Your name was Susan Hitler. Let's say you're, you're introducing yourself to somebody. Oh, hi, I'm, I'm, I'm David Jones. I'm John Hitler. John what? Hitler. Hitler? The Hitler? Yes, that was my grandfather, my great-grandfather. Really? Some people think Hitler had a son. We don't know for sure. Some people want to do some DNA testing to find out. Many people think he didn't have any children, but what if he did and you were the descendant and your last name was Hitler? Wouldn't you change your name? I mean, could you live with meaning when your very legacy was murder and death and destruction and hatred and satanic evil? Well, that's the people who wrote this word from God. To say they were the sons of Korah was like saying in their day they were the sons of Hitler. We won't go there, but you can go there yourself and read Numbers 16. Korah is one of the, one of the most um, uh, dark characters in all of the Old Testament. And so Korah 
is, has an incredible job. He's, he, he, he and, his, and, and his family have the opportunity to carry the precious things from the tabernacle from place to place in the wilderness. I mean, you're, you're putting the Ark of the Covenant and stuff like that on your shoulders. And, and, but, but Korah began to rebel against God. In fact, the scripture says he despised God. He hated God. And he wanted Moses and Aaron's job. So he began to say, what about me? I could be leader. I need you. Who do you think you are, Moses and Aaron? And then he gathered together 250 people, not just ordinary folks. They were leaders. He said, we're going to take them out. We're going to take them down. It was, it was a rebellion. It was an effort to destroy the people of God. It was really a genocidal effort. And had it succeeded to destroy God's plan for Israel, we'd have no savior. No Jewish nation, no Jewish savior, right? Didn't succeed because an earthquake came, the ground opened, and Korah and his crowd were swallowed up by the earth. A plague came over the people of God. It was a terrible time of darkness, evil, sin, and judgment. And it was all under the banner of the Hitler of their day named Korah. And right here in the scripture, the sons of an ancient Hitler have not given up their name. I wonder why. I wonder why. I wonder why they were known as the sons of Korah. Why didn't they just change their name or use their own name? These were descendants. Why? You know what I think? I think that they, want, that they wanted people to know. I know. You, you know who our great granddaddy was. You know. We do too. And that way when you see our lives, you'll know that God has changed us. We're different. So they became worship leaders and they loved God and they rejoiced in him and they followed him and they served him and they, they, were also, they were also loyal to King David. In the writing of this psalm, King David's own son Absalom is trying to kill him and David is fleeing and they're with him to protect him and to be his friends and to be with him. But they're, they've got family division, national, national destruction going on and violence and war and hatred. Many of the same things their ancestor created. Now they're victims of it. Could you have meaning? With a last name Hitler? With family, violence, and national conflict, and running for your lives away from home as an exile? Maybe our lives aren't so bad, right? But they found it. They found it. All of us are a mess. But we can have meaning even in our mess. Let's learn how. Let's learn how by doing what they did. Let's learn from Scripture and do what they did. So, so these sons of Korah gave us this incredible word from God. And how did they do it? How did they overcome their past? Well, first of all, they dealt with their daddy issues. And you have to as well. Deal with your daddy issues. Now, you know, all of us have daddy issues. You know that? All of us have daddy issues. I had the greatest father anybody could ever have. The greatest dad anybody could ever hope to have. But I, I grew up, and to this day, to this moment, I don't feel worthy of my father. I don't, I don't feel able to carry his mantle. It's, it's heavy because he was this awesome, humble, but, but for me, bigger than life figure. And I, I've never felt like I could be in that, in that place. Some of you say, well, I wish I had that daddy issue. <laughs> My, I had the worst father in the world. My, my wife had a father like that until he came to Jesus in his later years and God completely revolutionized his life. 
But that's what she grew up with, all kinds of daddy issues. Maybe you have those, a father who, who abused you or hurt you or was cruel to you. Or maybe you're going, well, I'm not sure whether it's, whether it's better to have bad daddy issues or none. I don't even know who my daddy was or he left our, our family. I don't care who you are, we've all got daddy issues. What a daddy issue really means is there's, there's three big things we really long for from a, from a father. Love, wisdom, and security. Love, wisdom, and security. And we're all looking for that. We're, we're all trying to, to find it. And so were the sons of Korah because they didn't, they, didn't they didn't have a good family background. So you know, you know what, they, what they did? Instead of finding it in their earthly daddy, they found it in their heavenly father. They had a bad dad but a great father. 27 times in this chapter, God or a pronoun about him is referenced. This is one of the most God-centered chapters in all of the Bible. It's God, 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 God all over this chapter. But it's not just God, it's also his people. They were broken hearted that they couldn't be with the people of God. And, and they longed for it so much. And so... God took their heart and shaped it and moved it toward himself and away from the pain of their past. When you have grandchildren, you get, you get great stories. My, my granddaughter, Aubrey, she was uh, she's five years old, and she was praying the other day. Her daddy told me, you're not going to believe what Aubrey prayed. She, she said, oh, God, thank you so much for the wonderful children you gave to my mommy and daddy. Amen. <laughs> Thank you for me, God. Thank you for me. And, and you know, that's true. That, that's true. In the eyes of God, this is, is true. We are his children. We are his sons and, and his daughters. And he will give us love and wisdom and security. So how do you deal with your daddy issues? Make a decision today. You have two choices. Either you get to continue a legacy of blessing or you get to break a legacy of curse. You get to do that. In our family, we've got both. I, I seek to continue a legacy of blessing, even though I don't feel worthy of it, and I miss my father like the air I breathe because he's in heaven now. My wife, my son-in-law, one of my son-in-laws has an absolutely horrific um, father story. And, and so in our family, we have both generations of blessing to continue and generations of curse to break. You know, either one of those is pretty exciting. You can decide today, I'm just going to wallow in my mess. Or God, you've given me the blessing of family. I'm going to continue it and live it to the fullness with everybody I contact, everybody that is around me. Or God, I've got a wreck of a family and you're going to let me start something new and break that curse. It's our choice. It's our choice. My dad is a part of one of the greatest stories in my ministry. We were in Israel. We'll be going back next March, by the way. Some of you want to go on a life action Israel trip, talk to me afterwards. We'd love to have you. Um, and uh, having my mom and dad with me in Israel was unbelievable. Just unbelievable. We went to the Jordan River and, and uh, uh, I believe it's perfectly okay to uh, relive your baptism and to have an experience of being baptized where, where uh, Jesus was actually baptized. And I've done that many times in the Jordan. But it was like nothing in my life to baptize my godly father and my mother in the Jordan River. It was so powerful and precious. And after we finished there, 
Every time I ever go there, I preach the gospel because people wander by. It's, it's a beautiful area. They'll stop and they'll listen. And there's, there's always people there that don't know the Lord. And so I share the gospel. I've never had anybody respond until that day. I, I, I said, is there anybody that needs to know Jesus yourself uh, that would need to be baptized because you don't know him yet? And this man standing in the back said, me, took his shirt off and walked straight in the water, straight to me. We don't have a clue who he is. He walks up to me and I, I said, well, sir, um, you need to tell us your story. And he said, my name is Isaac Ross and I'm a Jew. He said, I'm a, I'm a Russian Jew. And, and he said, I live in Haifa and I've been having those strangest dreams. They've been driving me crazy. Every night in my dream, I see Jesus in glowing white. And he says to me, go to the Jordan River and you will find your answer. He said, I told my mother and my grandmother, because they're right there. They were standing there. And they said, we're Jews. It's Jesus. What are you saying Jesus for? I don't know, but it's driving me crazy. They said, well, maybe we should go to the Jordan River. So they ask around, is there a place that people go to the Jordan River? One particular place is a long river. Yeah, there's this place where Christians baptize. Said, so we just got here and walked up and you started talking. And I sensed in my heart, this is it. I found my answer. This is what God was trying to tell me in those dreams. And so I shared the gospel with them right there. People are weeping, crying. I prayed with them. Isaac Ross became my brother in Christ. I've never had anything like this happen. So he prayed. He said, I receive you, Jesus. I repent of my sin. Turn from my sin. I want to follow you in Jesus' name. Amen. Buried with Christ in baptism unto death. And I baptized him. Seconds after he came to Jesus. It was amazing. Meanwhile, my dad, I see my dad sprinting up to this little building where they would sell you a robe or different things. And, and dad said he felt like the Lord was speaking to him that if he would go up there, somebody would have a Bible in Russian for this man. That was his heart language. He goes in and he says, do you have a Bible or a New Testament in Russian? They said, Russian? Oh, well, we've got Hebrew and English. And they go, wait a minute. That's a, that's a Russian New Testament on the shelf right there. There's only one. Dad took it off, bought it, and ran down to us, and we gave it to Isaac and taught him to read the New Testament and got his information. He was discipled by a Baptist mission in Haifa. It was so incredible. And off we all went, just rejoicing in this miracle. At the end of the trip, my wife went to a lot. My wife and I went to a lot for two days just to rest. It's a beautiful city on the coast of, of, of Israel. And we're, it's the last night. We're going home the next day. We're walking down this this oceanside pathway, so beautiful. And all of a sudden, somebody grabs my shoulder. I about jumped out of my skin. And I turned around, and it's Isaac Ross. I said, Isaac, are you following us? It's a long way from the Jordan River. And he said, no, we're on vacation. I can't believe you're here. I said, well, we're on vacation too. He said, but I'm so glad to see you. I, I need to ask you a question. And what he asked, I'll never forget as long as I live. I said, what is it, Isaac? And he goes, well, I read that book you gave me. What do I do next? He read the New Testament in three days. All of it. He sat down and read it all in three days. He wanted to do what do I, what he wanted to know. What do I do next? Your father has given you his book. What do you do next? What do you do next when you're a mess? Deal with those daddy issues. You don't have to depend. You, you, you shouldn't depend upon your earthly father to fulfill all those things. He's not Jesus. Deal with your daddy issues. But then what do you do next? 
Well, the next thing the sons of Korah did was they consecrated their cravings. So consecrate yours. Consecrate your cravings. For most of us, our cravings will make or break our life. God made us with desire and craving. You know the word lust in the Bible is not a negative word. It's a neutral word. The Greek word lust, you don't know whether it's positive or negative. It depends upon what you're, it, it means to desire something with all your heart, to crave it. Depends upon what you're craving. You, you, can, you can use the Greek word for lust and desire God and then it's holy. Or you can desire substance abuse or sexual sin or any number of things that you, you crave. You don't, nobody here craves alcohol. Do you know that? Nobody here craves sexual sin. Nobody here craves gossip. No, there's something you crave that's in the heart of God alone. And when you go to alcohol or sex or gossip or anything else to fulfill that longing, then your cravings begin to crush you. To, to consecrate something is to set it apart for the Lord. To set it apart only for Him. You want to deal with a mess of your life? Only the Lord. Only the Lord can control your cravings. They're powerful things in our life. The sons of Korah knew that. They knew that. And so their craving, they cultivated it. You, by the way, you cultivate cravings, you know. You can decide what you cultivate. You know, no, nobody's born loving alcohol. You cultivated that and maybe became an al- alcoholic, all right? Um, I don't like coffee. My wife loves it. She stops at every Starbucks, you know, down the road. And um, uh, I, don't, I, don't, I haven't cultivated that taste, so I don't love it. Um, but, I, but now Diet Mountain Dew, that's the sweet nectar of life right there. Because I cultivated, started drinking it as a kid. I drank the real sugar version then. Drink it every day now. I haven't had my diet Mountain Dew yet today. That could be a problem. I could be grouchy, but I don't think so. But, but you know, that's, that's, that's critical. What thirst are you cultivating right now in your life? Look at, look at the first and second verses of this chapter. As a deer pants for flowing streams. So pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. The sons of Korah, the passion of their life was God himself. But not, not God himself without God's people. Oh, we can't, we can't stand it. We can't, we can't be with the people of God in worship. We can't be there. You, you know, a lot about COVID just stunned me. We, we minister to pastors. I talk to pastors all over the country. Not one has told me anything different than this. They'll say, we were stunned at people that never came back. Like, there are folks that we, we thought these folks were leaders. And they were. But they were leaders because they were the banker or the business president or the person that talked the loudest or, or was known, you know, as, as popular or whatever it may be, but not, not because they craved Jesus. And so when things got hard, away they went and many of them are gone, never to return unless the Lord changes hearts and lives. That's happened all over this country, but sometimes I wonder if if a part of that problem of so many people leaving our churches during COVID might not fall back to us. Maybe a lot of them left because they didn't see a lot to crave in the gathering of our churches anymore. All over the world, God is moving right now. Revival is spreading like wildfire in places like Iran and Afghanistan and Brazil and China and Korea. I mean, all over the world. 
And almost everywhere where you see God moving powerfully, you know what they have in common? They don't get anything from Jesus that the world could give. There's there's no hope for them except torture, prison, death, persecution. But Jesus is just simply enough for them. He's just enough for them. And and when when you take time and you go to some of these places and you worship with them, it's Frankly, it's very hard to come back to the American church. As you come back to a place where we, we stopped craving being the people of God. We stopped craving God and then craving Him together. When's the last time you walked into a worship service and saw somebody and said, Can you believe we get to be here today? Could you, could you, there was nobody with a gun out there to stop us. God's here. God's here. He's going to meet us right here today. Can you believe we get to do this together? Something happened in the American church. And we lost that sense of passion for Jesus and the craving to be together. I want to challenge you all this week before you meet a man and his family who might very well be your shepherd. Ask God to give you that back. Or if you've never had it, ask him to give it to you for the first time. Ask him to help you crave him so much you can't wait to get here with the people of God. And tell him what God's doing in your heart. And then stick with that. Don't be the one who says to your new pastor, I got your back. And then you do with a knife right in the center. Don't be that one. Come together. Come together as the people of God and crave him. And crave being with God's people as they did. And watch what God will do. I was overseas right before COVID with a life action team. And um, we were in a place that I, I can't name, but God was moving so powerfully. And we were in a worship service, very careful, secret worship service. There were Muslims who had come to Jesus, missionaries, some expats, some embassy people. And we're all gathered together in our team. And they began to weep over their lost friends. They began to weep. They put names on a TV screen in the house where we were meeting. 56 people they were loving and praying for who were all Muslims who had not come to Jesus yet. They said, which one of these can we minister to this week? How can, how can our, our, our Bible study group help their family? What can, we, what can we do for them? And they wept and they cried for them. They cried for the lost. And then they cried for each other's needs. And they, they cared for each other as they read the scripture and as they sang. They were, they were family together, just like the book of Acts. And I'll never forget, one of our young men with life action turned to me and whispered in my ear. And he said, I, I've never been to church before now. He said, this is church. Well, we're experiencing it. I've never been. Not yet. Not until now. Man, what a time for this church. What a time. You get to decide who you're going to be moving forward. You get to decide if you'll follow a new pastor to the greatest days of mission and ministry. Or just be content with whatever it is you've been. You know why most people are members of a church? Because they like the preaching and they like the music. Can, can somebody please find that in the scripture? Why that's your reason? This is God's mission force. This is God's family on mission. Become that with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And the Spirit of God will fill you up and take you and use you like nothing you've ever seen. I want to show you what that looks like. I want to show you what it looks like. 
I think this is one of the most important things I've ever found in all of my life of study. I'm sharing it with every church I go to. It's going to be on the screen, maybe in two sections. You can take a picture of it if you want. This was a letter written by a philosopher named Aristides, a secular philosopher, and his friend was the emperor at the time named Hadrian, just less than 100 years after Jesus rose from the dead. So, so this, is the, this is the next generation after what we read in Acts 4 and Acts 2 when they're all together, one accord, everybody's sharing Jesus. They're, they're, man, they're, they're, they're taking care of each other's needs. There's nobody poor among them. Man, it's just, this, is, this, is their, this is their kids, and it's continued on. And the, the emperor said, hey, you know these Christians. You've met them. I want to know what they're like. He didn't know whether to persecute them, ignore them. He didn't know. This is what it looked like to be a follower of Jesus in the Roman Empire where they had no power. They weren't going to save Rome through politics. Like I I hear sometimes from American Christians, let's go save America. Save America? What if God wants to judge America? You want to fight against God? He judged his own people. we got a kingdom call. We've got a greater purpose. They couldn't save Rome. They didn't have any political power. They didn't have anything but Jesus. Nothing but Jesus and each other. And this is what was written to the emperor of Rome. Christians show kindness to those near them. They do good to their enemies. If one of them have bondsmen and bondswomen, these were slaves that sold themselves into slavery because they were so destitute that they were starving to death. So if these Christians, if they have these, these voluntary slaves, they persuade them to become Christians. And when they've done so, they call them brethren. The word means family without distinction. These first believers were already breaking the seeds of slavery and racism and all of this darkness. They do not worship strange gods and they go their way in all modesty and cheerfulness. Falsehood is not found among them. And how they love one another. And he who has gives to him who has not without boasting. And when they see a stranger, they take him into their own homes and rejoice over him as a very brother. And if they hear that one of their number is imprisoned or afflicted on account of the name of their Messiah, all of them anxiously minister to his necessity. And if there's any among them, among the Christians, that is poor and needy, and they have no spare food, well, they fast two or three days in order to supply to the needy their lack of food. So if they're poor, they fast so they can give away something to those that are more poor. And then I just love this. Such, O king, is their manner of life. This is, everybody knows it. He goes, this is just the way they are. And verily, this is a new people. It's nobody like them, he says. And there's something divine in the midst of them. Oh, man. Can you imagine if in the years ahead, Everybody that sees you out in the community, that sees this church, that knows everything about you, they might say, I think those folks are a little bit strange, but man, they love each other, and there's something different about them. I think it's God. This is a community that craves God most. You hold each other accountable, you crave God more than anything, and you know what? He'll take that community and the power of his spirit will help you consecrate your cravings. Last thing that the sons of Korah did, and you can do, wait in wonder, wait in wonder 
I'm not a pessimist. I'm just not. I, I see too much of what's coming. Jesus is coming again. I think that almost requires one last great revival. Heaven is ahead. All of eternity. Jesus is coming. I believe in revival. The gates of hell won't prevail against the church. It may get smaller. A lot of churches are dying. More will die. They're, they stop becoming the church. That's why they died. They stopped being the church. That's okay. God will raise up his people everywhere. You can be those people if you want to be. He's calling you to be. He wants want you to be. He'll fill you with his spirit and we ought to live in wonder and we ought to hope in wonder. The word hope here used I think three times in this chapter literally means wait. Wait, but, but don't wait passively. He's, the, the sons of Korah are very honest. Twice they, they say we're, we're depressed, we're anxious, but then they come back and they say, but we can't figure out why because we know God and we know what he's doing. And we know what's coming. And then they come back. They come back to him in their heart. I love verse 7. Deep calls to deep. The roar of your waterfalls. They were likely at an oasis that I've been to near the Dead Sea. It's a waterfall there. And, and they're, they're, they're running. They're depressed. They're discouraged. Their lives are in danger. And they're there with David. But as the waterfall comes washing over them. They say, God, this is, this is how it is with you. This is how it is with you. When we're a mess, Lord, you, you just come in the beautiful cleansing power of your spirit and you just wash all over us and, and, and clean us and refresh us again. This verse, this verse really means that the deep things of God cry with hope to the depth of your pain. And that's what God is doing right now if you'll listen. Right now in this place. Deep things of God are crying with hope for the depth of your pain. So wait and watch in the wonder that it is to be a son or a daughter of a king, the king. And you, you want to see something to wonder about? Something to stand in awe of? Twice in this chapter, God says something so amazing, so powerful, that I had to sit down I was walking around looking at books in my little library and I had to sit down when I saw it. Sometimes when the Lord does things twice, says things twice, I think it's because he knows somebody like me, I'm too thick-headed to get it once, so he gives it to me twice. Verse 5, verse 11, same thing. Why are you cast down, my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? Here it is, hope in God. For I shall again praise him my salvation and my God. You know what the word salvation is in Hebrew? This is a prophetic word from God right here. The word salvation in Hebrew is actually a proper name. It's the name above every name. The word in Hebrew is Yeshua. Literally, my Jesus. My Jesus. But here's what's really cool. I love this. Grammatically, it's a very strange grammatical passage and it's hard in Hebrew to translate it right but one good way of translating it into English if you translate the word salvation as Jesus is this Jesus in your face Jesus in your face you come in here today you're depressed you're discouraged you're anxious you're fearful and Jesus says come here come here I want to get right here I want to get eye to eye with you like a coach you're going to win this race you're not going to lose I'm eye to eye with you. I, I see that tear. Let me wipe it away. Now, we're going to get up here together. We're going to run this race together. 
I'm in your face right here. I want you to know you are never alone. You are never unseen. You are not invisible. The race can be won. And we're going to get up together and we're going to go run it and we're going to go win it because I'm right here in front of you, in your face, eye to eye, cheering you on. That's Jesus for you today. And before anybody knew his name, God inspired his word to say, my Jesus and my God. By the way, it's not the only time in Scripture something like this is said. All the way over in Zephaniah chapter 3, verse 17. It's been a verse for me, really become almost a theme verse for the last few years. The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. <laughs> Same word, this time a verb. This time what he go, says is, I'm going to Jesus you. <laughs> I, I know what you're dealing with, and I'm going to Jesus you. In the end of that verse, he says, and I'm going to sing over you. Because you're my son, you're my daughter, and I know you're a mess. But you're my mess. And you will never be alone. That's the bridge that Jesus is building for you. You don't have to wander around on that bridge to nowhere. He's building a bridge with hammers and nails. And it's a bridge to meaning for you. I want to finish with this. Um, since the last time I was with you, my mother died, my precious godly mother, who was also stubborn as a mule. And um, we told her, Mom, you're falling. You have to be in a wheelchair. I'm not going to be in a wheelchair. I can walk just fine. And she fell again. And on this one occasion, she broke her neck. And they took her to the hospital, and they examined her. And we, it's in the middle of COVID, and we had to tell our precious mother over the telephone that she was dying. He said, Mom, the doctors say your spinal cord is swelling and you're not going to be able to move soon and then you won't be able to breathe and you're going to die, Mom. And she said, Well, I'm going to see Jesus and I'm going to see your dad. I can't wait to see him again. They let her go to hospice, to a nursing home hospice, to die, and they wouldn't let us in. Some of, you know, some of you know this. To me, it's the most horrible thing about COVID, the way we handled it. Our loved ones dying alone. My brother's a doctor, and he went, he went to the nursing home. He said, let me tell you what's going to happen. Uh, my mother's not dying alone. You're going to let one of us, one of her children in. He said, well, she's in a coma now. She's near death. We'll let one person in for 15 minutes, fully garbed up. So my sister, who's a worship leader, she represented all of us. And she went in to sit with my mom and help her die. She said, I don't know what to do. She's in a coma, but I, I think I'm just going to sing over her. She said, I know what to sing. I'm going to sing the song of our family, the song that was playing when I met Jesus, the song that was playing when my sister met Jesus, the song that was playing when my mom and dad recommitted their lives to Jesus. It's this song playing right now. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. And so that's what she did. She sat by my mother, she took her hand, and she began to sing. And my comatose mother opened her eyes. She looked around, she saw her daughter, she smiled, and she began to mouth the words with her. They said she had no more voice, but she found one. When it came to the name, she said, turn your eyes upon Jesus. And she said his name. She closed her eyes. 
And very soon she went to be with him. It's one of the greatest gifts God's ever given our family. And he's instructed me to tell that story. And when I do, to say to everyone that hears it, let me tell you, everything you need is in that song. Everything you need. Everything you need for the mess you are. Everything you need for the future. For a new pastor to come. Everything you as a church need is in that song. Everything. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth, all of it, will grow strangely dim in the light of his, what? Glory and grace. Glory and grace. That's all you need. And that's what you can have right now if you want it. Hey, would you do me a favor? Would you stand with me? And we, can we just sing that? Can we just sing that together? Just stand up. Let's just sing the, the chorus together. And this song, which includes everything that you need now or ever will. Sing it with me. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strange. Lead him in the light of his glory and grace. Now is your time. This is your chance. This is your moment. This altar is open. This may be a time for you to come and say, Lord, I want to be ready to live with meaning together with this body when our new pastor comes. Lord, I want to, I want to ask you to help me live live and to live with my small group, my class, with everybody you bring me together with in this church, to live with meaning and purpose. Come and pray. Come and pray for your new pastor who will be coming. You're going you're gonna to have some leaders here at the front. If you need today to accept Jesus, you need that today, then you come and somebody will be here to, to meet you and to pray with you and to help you. If you want to join this fellowship, man, what better way to prepare for a new pastor to come than to join this family? So you come as well. I'm going to open the altar right now. Music's going to play. I'm going to sing a little bit. You do what God gives you to do right now. And then live with meaning in the days ahead. Live with meaning yourself and as the body of Christ with a new pastor as he comes to lead you. Father, I just pray right now we'd respond to you, we'd seek you, we would pray, we would be with you, we'd meet with you right now in these moments, and that you would move in power. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You come right now.